If it's true that there is no fate but what we make for ourselves, then fewer cinematic franchises have been engineered a worse fate than that once beloved sci-fi classic, The Terminator. In a series that has, so far, six installments, only James Cameron's 1984 original and his 1991 sequel are generally revered as classics. The four installments since have all tried to recapture that former magic, but have ended up feeling repetitive, redundant, convoluted, or just plain dull, and I can't help but wonder why. Why have four different creative teams, some of them with accomplished filmmakers themselves, failed to figure out what makes a good Terminator movie? But before I can claim to understand why their sequels didn't work, I would first have to ask myself, do I think I could do a better one? Hello and welcome to Dodd Does the Sequel. My name is Andrew Dodd and I'm joined today by my good friend Adam Galloway. And we're going to talk a bit about why I think no Terminator sequel has been able to match the quality of James Cameron's original installments. And what I think a worthy sequel might look like. Terminator franchise, come with us if you want to live. You like that? That was amazing. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Adam. Thanks for joining me today. No problem. I'm happy to happy to chime in. It's mostly uh, I'm going to be doing most of the talking in this segment, but I asked Adam to join me just because um, I'm sure he'll have some some questions and some good ideas. And if I'm not explaining things properly, he can jump in. And I just like his company, so I'm glad he was able to make it. Now, Adam, you had only uh, until very recently just seen Terminator and Terminator 2. Is that correct? Yes. And in preparation for this segment, I asked if you would watch Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, which I think you did very recently. I, just at the last minute, was able to uh, to make it happen. I'm just curious, uh, no real structure here, what are, what, what are your thoughts about Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines? My initial thoughts were like, okay, like it's fine, I would never say it's bad, I, I guess the best way to say it is even Arnold Schwarzenegger's performance as the ter- as the Terminator in the third one felt off. Just something as simple as that. It felt like I don't know when he was becoming the governor. I think it was right around the corner, but it just mm-hmm. seemed like they didn't care. They just wanted to piece together a a movie, a Hollywood action movie, and they didn't really care about s- staying with the. Um, like the the style of the first two and what made them so good. When you follow up with T2, when you have an amazing story, like a great connection with um, uh, John Connor and and the Terminator and like a lot of underlining storylines going on and like actual thought put into the script, when you get something like this, it's just Hollywood just pumping something out. They don't really care. They just want to make money. That's what this seemed like. It seemed like a cash grab. It seemed like, let's get Arnold back. Let's just throw something out and just make it for the sake of doing it. I, I, that's all I can really. I, I, there's not much, you know, many memorable scenes that I can really remember. I only saw it yesterday, so that's kind of a bad sign that I don't really remember <laughs> much from it. Like, and I, I'm not well, a huge. It's a good thing we did this today. If yeah. we waited another day, you might not remember any of it. And even like Claire Danes, I'm like, I'm not a huge fan of her. She's fine. I, I, I maybe a little miscast. I, I didn't think she was. I mean, it Did you was, like okay. the uh, you you remind me of my mother line. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little weird, eh? So my overall question to you is, and I hope you can elaborate a little bit because again, I, I wasn't really into the movie, so it was really hard to grasp. 
like the Claire Danes' dad is now working in with Skynet or for Skynet or whatever the proper terminology is. So, do the events of T two even matter? Like, what did they accomplish in T two with 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 um like in in regards to this movie? Like, what's like I, I don't understand. Uh, that's where I was mainly confused with this. Where I'm like, so Skynet's okay. just fine. So if you can okay. take it from there. Yeah. So if we look at other uh, franchises, okay, be it. Uh, superhero franchises, be it uh, James Bond or Indiana Jones, those seem franchisable. I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. It works. It works for now. Yeah, exactly. Those movies, because because each one of those movies has a contained conflict, and when that conflict in those particular movies in in a, in a single James Bond movie, okay, it's like the perfect example. There's a villain in that James Bond movie, and that villain has a plan that James Bond has to stop. But once James Bond stops that villain and that villain's plan in that movie, there's room in that universe for another villain to pop up in the next movie. There's, there's no shortage of new villains that are going to come up. Same thing with a superhero movie, right? Thor defeats Loki, then he's got to defeat the elf guy, then he's got to defeat Hela defeating one does not stop all villains ever from being able to come back because those movies are called, you know, Indiana Jones. They're about the adventures of Indiana Jones. He can continue to have adventures or the movie's called Thor or it's, you know, whatever. The problem with the Terminator franchise is that it's called the Terminator. The one and only conflict in that universe villain antagonist is Skynet. Hmm. Without Skynet, there is no story. It's not the adventures of Sarah Connor. I know there was that TV show, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, but let's ignore that for now. <laughs> right? If it, was, if it was the adventures of Sarah Connor, then after she defeats Skynet in Terminator 2, Terminator 3 could be about, or, or Sarah Connor 3 could be about aliens, or Sarah Connor 4 could be about her fighting ghosts or terrorists, or whatever villain you want to cook up, that's fine because it's about Sarah Connor. But when it's called The Terminator, you need The Terminator in that movie. So T2 leaves you in a really tough spot to make a sequel because the one and only antagonist in the series has been defeated. And if it hasn't been defeated, then you've negated everything that Terminator 2 was about. Right. If you yeah. if you have you have to have the Terminator come back, Terminator return in part three, which means Skynet has to still be around, which means everything they did at the third act of Terminator two was for nothing. And I think that's the role that every single sequel since Terminator two has gone with is like, oh, well, it just didn't work. You blew up Cyberdyne. Miles Dyson was killed. You you destroyed all the chips. You you threw the, the the arm in the lava and the and the chip in the molten metal. Sorry, that was all for nothing. Sky, I think in Terminator Three he says Judgment Day is inevitable. Yeah, which totally flies in the face of there is no fate but what we make for ourselves, which was the whole theme of Terminator and Terminator Two. They're now saying nuts to that. It's inevitable. It's our fate. You can't escape it. Screw you, previous movie. My challenge then, or anyone's challenge trying to make a sequel, would be 
how do you bring Skynet back without defeating the purpose of the end of Terminator 2? How do you still make what they did in Terminator 2 count, and yet Skynet still returns anyway? And I'm, I'm surprised that no one has sat down and really tried to tackle that one issue, because that's the most important issue for me. So whenever I'm trying to imagine a sequel whereby like it seems an impossibility to 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 continue it my go-to and in, in on, on more of these episodes I'll, I'll default to this tactic a few times the only one who's worthy of undoing something in a movie is the one who did it in the first place it's only our protagonist that could undo what our protagonist did mm-hmm. for the purposes of this i'm also imagining that the year is like 1996 yeah <laughs> I'm trying to go back in time. Like th- this is part of my Terminator would be when it was made. Blah blah. blah. I obviously would have insisted that you know James Cameron be a part of it. Um, I don't know when he would have done this in between True Lies and Titanic. He probably wouldn't have had any <laughs> he time. Had time. He had time. <laughs> but ideally, it would have been at the end of the '90s when the Terminator franchise was still kind of fresh. I think Terminator Three came out too late. I don't think anyone cared about it anymore. Everyone I agree. was into the Matrix. Yeah. Or Star Wars at that time. I would have had Edward Furlong and Linda Hamilton return. This was, I think, Edward Furlong was still making movies, I think, in the late 90s. He did uh, Detroit Rock City and and, uh, a few others. So this was before he totally went off the rails. Any questions so far? Because I'm going to launch into my pitch for my Terminator. No, no, I'm I'm ready. I think you briefly said something one time at a bar. I I don't remember. So (laughs) I'm... I'm, I say a lot of things at the bar. Yeah, I'm excited to, for you to jump in and uh, be more in-depth. Okay, I don't have a... This is not like a plot, like a full plot break. There's lots of holes in this still. But this is sort of a, a pitch. This is like a, a basic treatment uh, so, where I would try to go with it. So I'm Hollywood and you're Andrew Dodd. You, you got it. Yeah. The opening scene is maybe uh, August 29th, 1997, Judgment Day at 11.55 p.m. And John and Sarah are down in a bunker uh, awaiting the day. They, they think they've stopped Judgment Day, but they don't know for sure. They know they've got like five minutes to go. And if that date can change and Judgment Day hasn't happened, then they've done it. They've beaten the machines. They've stopped the war from ever happening. And it's that kind of intense, you know, like, will it, won't it? And they get to midnight and they're just like relieved and they embrace each other. And like, we did it, John. And, you know, they, they think they can get on with their lives and maybe we cut to elsewhere and that familiar, you know, time bubble opens up, and left behind is a is a naked, muscly Arnold Schwarzenegger who stands up, you know, boom, 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 boom. Like so, all three movies now open with that same, you know, Arnold uh, coming into our timeline, and we're thinking, oh crap, uh, somehow they didn't stop the war, even though Judgment Day passed. Somehow Skynet is still active in the future, and they somehow sent back an Arnold Terminator. What's this going to be about? Uh, set up a little mystery and then roll credits. So now we go ahead maybe a couple of years and they're living together and they're kind of off the grid, but they've relaxed a little bit. And Sarah is trying really hard to just sort of make a normal life for the two of them. They have a little house together. You know, she tries to keep it nice. She's she's trying to not be the, the Sarah Connor that we saw at the beginning of Terminator 2. She's not gun crazy. She's not jacked. She's not hostile. She's learned throughout Terminator 2 how to value life because I think that's a theme in Terminator 2 is that she almost becomes a Terminator herself, mm-hmm. right? She's ready to assassinate Miles Dyson. She's ready to kill him at his home with his family. 
and she decides to let him live. Because I think she sees herself becoming this cold, mechanical killer and ignoring the human aspect of it. I think that's Sarah Connor's uh, story arc throughout Terminator 2. So I would continue with that. She's becoming more and more human, right? Somehow the Terminator at the end of Terminator 2 helped them learn to become more human, just as they taught him how to become more human, right? I know now why you cry. So she's trying to soften. She's just trying to be like, hey, I'm just a normal mom. And she's able to get over it. This is something I struggled with. I was like, should Sarah be the one who's like still obsessed and still like can't relax and still thinks judgment takes come? And I was like, no, 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 no. I think her character to, to evolve would be the one. She's trying to move on from it, but it's now John. So John's now in his like, you know, late teenage, early 20s. And he's kind of scarred from this whole thing. He was too young to process what happened when it happened. He's not doing too well. He's rebellious. He's not settled with this life. She's struggling. And, it, you know, it can, it can be relatable to real-life parents, right, who are trying to raise a teenager or uh, someone in their early 20s who's gone a bit uh, wayward. You know how frustrating that can be. You don't know what to do. You want to be their friend, but you got to discipline them, but they don't respond well to discipline. And, and there's this disconnect between John and Sarah. We don't quite know what John's up to. He's, like, going away all the time. He's disappearing all the time. She's like, you're never home. Like, where do, where do you go to at night? He's like, don't worry, fuck off, mom. Don't worry about it. You know, he's all, like, he's got a bad attitude. Mm-hmm. And I think what we've come to learn is, and again, this I don't have the plot worked out here, but I think Danny Dyson, who was Miles Dyson's son in Terminator 2, he was just a little kid in Terminator 2, he's now grown up, and maybe he's followed in his father's footsteps in the... Uh, in, in the field, you know, um, computers, um, programming, that sort of thing. Maybe he's doing it a little more ad hoc. Maybe he doesn't work for a big company, but maybe he's a hacker. You know, he, he's involved in that somehow. And John Connor and Danny Dyson have become friends. And we find out that the big sort of twist halfway through is that John Connor, he's actually trying to bring about Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. He's working He's working with Danny Dyson to continue sort of under the radar what Cyberdyne was doing. Maybe through Danny Dyson, they do have a connection to the military. Maybe John is like secretly feeding him information. Maybe John learns some things about how the Terminator works or he remembers some things from spending time with the Terminator in T2. And, and, you know, and then when Sarah finds this out, she's furious and they have a big scene like, John, like, why would you do this? Are you crazy? And it's because John was raised to believe that he was going to be the savior of mankind. John spent, you know, the, the, the first 10 years of his life thinking he was destined for this greatness. Then they stopped that. I mean, greatness, like it also has billions of people dying, but he thought he was, he thought he was important and now he's not important anymore. Now he's nothing. And Sarah's trying to be this person, this mother that, that that's not he who he that's not his mom. You know, he doesn't know this woman that she's trying to be. She remembers a life before all of this, when she was just a waitress at the diner or whatever. He doesn't remember that. He doesn't know any of that. That's not his life. So he's so warped and he's and it it, it echoes what Edward Furlong was happening in real life, right? He was this child star. And so many child stars grow up and get into drugs and, uh, you know, have a lot of personal problems. 
that would that would mimic that real life situation, right? Where John Connor is probably doing drugs. He's probably an alcoholic. He's probably hanging out with some some you know bad influences, and he's become so disconnected and so warped that this is what he thinks he needs, mm-hmm. and he he wants to. He's you know he he doesn't have the foresight. He doesn't realize what he's doing. I don't want to make John a villain per se, but he's just so misguided that this is what he thinks he needs to do in order to actually be something. And he he thinks he's trying to save his mom somehow in some weird way, right? Because he doesn't think that this Sarah Connor is who Sarah Connor is. He thinks that they're happiest when they're on the run. He thinks they're happiest when they're gun-toting and ready for war and and going to be killers. Like he he's trying to save his family in some sort of weird warped way by bringing about this fate that, you know, that he, you know, there is no fate but what they make, but he's unhappy with what they made. He wants to go back to uh, what he thought fate had in store for him. And what we've learned is that the Arnold that came back is here to sort of help John Connor and, and guide John Connor. And it's like he says, you know, oh, John Connor, you programmed me in the future to, uh, to be just like the Terminator that, you know, you knew before. So I remember all the oh, Hasta La Vista, baby. I know this now, you know. And it's like it's like the Arnold from T two is back with all of his you know human qualities and mannerisms, and John's been secretly working with him as well, and he's been helping to provide Danny Dyson information about how um, Skynet works, about how the processors work. Right, he's he's got it. He knows all that information. And when Sarah finds this out, I mean, again, she's she's furious, and and he's trying to be like, no, mom, it's okay. Remember. Do you, do you remember the, you know, the, the Terminator from, you know, uh, he, he protected me. He was our friend, mom, and now he's back. You know, he, he could be, and what John, I mean, thematically, what John's looking for here is a father, right? John, that's the closest John ever had to a family was at the end of Terminator 2, right? The, the Terminator became a surrogate father figure. He's got his mom, his dad. That was that, their strength, you know, that unity was there. And he's trying to re- recapture that. He wants that again. That's the only father he ever really knew was this machine, and he's like, Mom, we can be a family. This, we, the, the three of us can fight the machines together. This is what we were meant to do, Mom. And she's like, you're crazy. What, John, what's happening? And I think that what we're going to learn is that this Arnold is not actually any of those things. He wasn't there to sent back to be a father figure to John. He's actually a T-5000, which is uh, a shape-shifting liquid metal Terminator. He is a villain. He's there to bring you know to make sure that skynet is fully formed and maybe he's even there to manipulate things so that the human resistance won't be able to win in the future um and he was just looking like arnold and sounding like arnold and acting all those things to trick john into his loyalty and his obedience um and then once this is discovered and once skynet is on his way then he's his new mission is to once again eliminate john connor but we don't learn this until halfway through that Mm -hmm. this arnold that we thought was this we thought it was the same arnold from t2 essentially uh is actually once again arnold is once again the villainous uh terminator and i think no terminator has topped the t1000 and again i'm like why are they having so much trouble with this like the terminator in everyone says this the tx in terminator 3 the female she seems like a step backwards from the T-1000 because she's got a solid component at her core. She's got a metal endoskeleton. So she can't shapeshift into the floor and she can't pass through 
bars. Uh, and if you punch her, she gets flown backwards. Remember when he punches the T-1000 and just turns to, to liquid and just sort of like absorbs his hand and then Arnold's kind of stuck. She can't do that. Yeah, I, so yeah, uh, I don't, I don't. She wasn't very memorable at all. I, I didn't really feel threatened by her. <laughs> like, in, like no. it, it didn't seem like they had no. anything to overcome. And then in Terminator Genesis, which I saw, I, I was like half paying attention to it once. There's a new Terminator in that, but I don't really get what that thing is. It doesn't really seem like it's much different from the T1000 in the sense of like what it can do. And then in Terminator Dark Fate, its big thing is it can split into two. But it, it never really utilizes that properly. Like, I don't even remember <laughs> any memorable scenes of, like, the, them fighting two Terminators. Um, it always just sort of felt like they were fighting one anyway. So my, my, I thought about what would be the next step beyond the T-1000. And I had to remember that, you know, let's not lose sight of the fact that the whole reason why there are Terminators is that they're infiltration units. That's the only reason why Skynet makes machines that look human, that even have a humanoid shape. There's like if you were a machine and you could design anything that would kill people, why would you make it a human shape? Why would you make it have arms and legs? Like legs are not the most efficient th- when you can design anything you want, legs are not the most efficient thing for getting over terrain. And when it's got arms, like it needs to it needs to hold weapons. Like, why wouldn't you just build a ta- like a tank that just has a weapon built into it? The whole reason why they designed skeleton, human skeleton machines was so that they could trick the human resistance into thinking they were humans so that they could get into their base. Mm-hmm. So to me, anything that a Terminator does should have the... It, it shouldn't be about its weapons and, and, and how well it can fight, necessarily, First and foremost, it should be about can it fool people into thinking it's humans or can it get into places that it needs to get into? It's like a spy. You know, the Terminators were like the spies of Skynet. Yeah. That was the, they talk about in the first one about how the T-600s were rubber skinned because that's what, that, that was the machine's attempt to fool people into thinking it was a human. But they're like, we could tell. Like the rubber didn't look realistic. We could always tell. So the T-800 was supposed to be a big thing. Because when the when Skynet invented the T-800s, they looked totally human. They had living flesh on them. They could, and there's a scene uh, in Terminator 1 where Kyle Reese remembers a T-800 infiltrating the base and killing everybody. Like, it, it was able to get in. And that's why they had dogs, right? It was, that's how they could tell. The T-1000 is an evolution of that in that it can, not only does it look human, it can look like any human. So now it can look like somebody you know. You can be like, hi, mom, come on in. I'll let you right into the house. How are you doing? Oh, shit. It's not my mom. It's this machine that's going to stab me through the face. Uh, so, again, it makes sense that the infiltration, infiltrate that's what it's all about. So I think the next step, the T-5000, should be everything the T-1000 is. Plus, the big one, it can go invisible. Oh, I like that. And imagine once you're invisible, you can go anywhere you want, right? You can get into any place you want. You're not even going to be seen. So that would be the next step for me, and I, I think that makes sense. In a Terminator movie, we haven't seen that before, and so now they've got to fight this thing that can turn invisible. And then there'd be a big chase and a big fight, and the, the message at the end would be you know, Sarah being like, I know you miss him, John, but like he's gone. You can't just program another one. He was a one of a kind, just like a human is. You know, you, 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 We can't relive that. We can't recapture that magic. 
we can mem- we, we have memories of it you know just like real life when somebody dies you can't just replace them and it also mirrors these movies like Terminator 2 was magic we can't just replace that we can't just get another one and it'll be just as good so it has that sort of meta reference to it as well like just remember Terminator 2 for what it was just remember that Terminator for what he was it's gone but John we still have each other we can still be a family and that would be my Terminator I like Any it. questions? I like it. What do you it. think? So yeah. it would it would go well with with two for sure. I again I just if I'm coming from the point of I, I not needing one, so I need to step in the shoes of a world where there is one, and what would be the best way to go? And I'm with you. I think that makes sense. You told me before about your like you said it earlier where if you're gonna make uh, or if you're gonna undo something that happened, it has to be like you said the protagonist has to be involved in it. So I like that John Connor is more involved in the rise of uh, rise of the machines. I was going to say rise of Skywalker rise of uh, rise of machines. He's just kind of there and it's like, Oh, here we go again. And then he's just involved and it's like, okay, I got to do this all over again. And he like the first act of the movie, he's just like, yeah. And he's like explaining what happened in the second one. And it's just kind of rehashing the same points whereas with your version he's more involved and it actually it and it it, as long as it better explains why uh, there is a third one i'd be fine with it i just felt with my viewing of the one as is i'm just like okay so this is totally just a money grab they just wanted to quickly it's like all the halloween sequels and just the quick all right this happened new movie Uh, this happened new movie whereas with your version it's more in depth on why um why what's happening is happening and there's you know a reason for it and john's involved because john was a huge part in the second one and he's a huge part in the third one and he's the he's the catalyst for why what's happening is happening so that to me right away just makes more sense all the stuff you said the themes in t2 are fantastic so if they carry over to the third one in similar to the way you said it would make more sense it would feel more fitting in a trilogy because as we all know, a good trilogy, the third movie has to, you know, resolve something that wasn't resolved in the pre. They have to go together. They can't just be a random, like, oh, okay. So it just, I, I, I like your way better. I think it would have been a better direction. Oh, for sure. We're running short on time. Thanks for joining me on uh, Dodd does the sequel, my version of Terminator Three. No problem. I was happy to join. Talk to you soon. All right. Peace. Well, there you have it, my version of Terminator 3, one that tries to continue the themes of family, fate, and what it is to be human that were introduced in the previous installments, and one that tries to push the characters in new and interesting directions while still respecting the events of Terminator and Terminator 2. While some of the Terminator sequels have touched on new and interesting themes, none have really matched the storytelling proficiency and character growth that a sequel to Terminator 2 really deserves. I'd like to thank Adam Galloway for joining me. And here on Dodd Does the Sequel, while we like to imagine how we would restore an already broken franchise to its former glory, we never condone making a sequel to a story that's already been fittingly concluded. In the case of the Terminator franchise, perhaps the reason why there hasn't been a satisfying sequel to Terminator 2 is because there just simply isn't any more story to tell. And therefore, If I had to pick a redeeming aspect of 2019's much-maligned Terminator Dark Fate, 
it would be that Arnold Schwarzenegger finally got to say the words he should have said 28 years earlier. I won't be back. For the Viewer's Cut, I'm Andrew Dodd. Thanks for listening, and consider that sometimes the best sequel is the one that never comes. Hello, viewers. This is Adam Galloway, one of four members of The Viewer's Cut. I think it's been about a few weeks now since we've been on a little hiatus. Uh, the four of us have been discussing a few uh, different directions we want to go with Season 2, and this is one of them. This is a little segment that I've put together that I want to do with you guys, and it's called Adam's Top 10. It's an unedited, uh, kind of off-the-cuff uh, short segment. It's not going to be too long. Uh, it's basically going to be me ranting for a little bit. I'm going to have guests on from time to time. Uh, my uh, my comrades, Ryan, Mauricio, and Andrew, if they want to join. Uh, we're all going to be kind of doing our own little thing, uh, and uh, we're all going to mix and match and uh, do different uh, combinations of uh, recordings of different topics and stuff as they happen. And uh, we got a few ideas already uh, in the works and this is one of them this is something that I've want to do for a while so I'm going to get right to it I'm going to keep it uh, a little intro here nice and brief but yeah I'm just I'm a big fan of of rankings and sharing rankings with people and letting people know what I like and uh, in what order I like them in <laughs> uh, so um, yeah I'm just going to get right into it so the uh, first episode uh, here is um, my top 10 favorite films of all time and again this is subjective uh, this is in, in, in no means uh, any list that I think, you know, I think these films are the best. No, these are my personal favorites. Uh, there might be some nostalgia uh, because of when I saw them. There's lots of different reasons why these uh, films have uh, made my list. I'll get into it quickly, but this is not a formal review of all these movies. I'm going to do my best as well for uh, avoiding spoilers. Um, if I accidentally say something, uh, I do apologize, but a lot of these movies are a, f a few years old, so I think I'm safe, but I will do my best. So I got the list here, I'm going to jump right into it. So uh, coming in at number 10 on my top 10 is Unbreakable from 2000, starring uh, Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson. Uh, and it was M. Night's follow-up to uh, The Sixth Sense, which was released a year earlier and was very successful. Um, Unbreakable uh, is a film that I believe is ahead of its time. It was right at the it was released right at the beginning of the um, the superhero craze. Uh, I believe X Men, uh, the first X Men, uh, was released the same year, and then. That kind of you know led to all, you know that franchise and all those sequels, uh, United and Last Stand and all those. And I believe Spider-Man, uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, was two years after. So Unbreakable was a little bit ahead of the curve. It's a very grounded take on comic book, um, comic book movies and superheroes, and you know kind of starting that genre. It's it's very grounded. It's very slow, but it's completely character driven. Uh, Bruce Willis obviously plays the protagonist, and he's um, you know discovering that he might have superhero abilities, and it's basically like a first act. That's how M Night sold the movie. Uh, he originally had a, a, a full length uh, script, but he decided to just use the first uh, first act 
because uh, he found it more interesting. Uh, it's a very tight movie. A lot is going on uh, in a short period of time. I think it's only like an hour and 40 minutes. But anyways, Unbreakable, the atmosphere, the cinematography, the music, the performance is all great. One of Bruce Willis's best performances, in my opinion. Um, and I just absolutely love the movie. It's my favorite M. Night movie. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of Glass. It was okay. I think the critics really destroyed it, but uh, it wasn't that great. And I didn't mind Split. Uh, but Unbreakable is where it's at. I absolutely love Unbreakable. Uh, so it's my number 10. Uh, number 9 is Pure Nostalgia, uh, The Poseidon Adventure. I do recall this is, if not the first, one of the first movies I can recall viewing. I remember sitting on my living room floor uh, with my parents. I think they were both there. Uh, watching The Poseidon Adventure on TV. Um, this was at the very beginning of the big disaster craze in the early 70s. I believe Towering Inferno followed this and then a bunch of other movies. But The Poseidon Adventure is a great movie. I have it on DVD. It's I've had the DVD for almost my entire life. I absolutely love the movie. The practical effects in it are great. It, there's some dated stuff in it, obviously, some cheese. But it's such a good movie. It's character-driven. A lot of good performances. My favorite Gene Hackman performance. He's great as as the the main uh, the main uh, survivor of what, when the boat flips over, and he leads um, a bunch of other survivors to try to get out of the boat. And there's just a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of good nuance in the movie. A lot of good context with uh, the interactions of all the characters and and how they try you know have to you know work together to to survive. And uh, it's just a remarkable movie. If you haven't seen the Poseidon Adventure, definitely check it out. There have been a couple remakes. Um, but, uh, the original one is definitely where it's at for sure. Uh, number eight, uh, to no surprise, E.T. Uh, we've talked about this movie, uh, on this podcast before with our Steven Spielberg episode. Uh, E.T. just is in a, has a special place in my heart. It, it's such a good movie. It's near perfect. Um, I can't really find a flaw in it. It's got a great message in it, as I've discussed before, and it's, beautifully shot Steven Spielberg at his best uh, the child actors and it are great and um, I just love the movie I always have since I saw it as a kid and um, there's not much else I can say about it. it's just a great movie I watch it probably once a year and uh, yeah E.T. no question uh, coming in at number seven uh, is Planes Trains and Automobiles my favorite John Hughes movie um I am a huge Steve Martin fan. I'm a huge John Candy fan. So this just made sense. Um, it's Steve Martin at his best. It's John Candy at his best. It's a very funny movie. It's not the funniest movie I have seen, but it's very, very, very funny. But it's got a perfect blend of comedy and drama. There's a very good story. The characters in it are awesome. John Candy is the heart and soul of the movie, and he delivers so many good moments in this movie. I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but... For all those people that uh, love Uncle Buck, I love Uncle Buck too, but Planes, Trains, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is where it's at for me. It's just the perfect combination of great comedy, great drama, and a lot of a lot of good sequences in the movie, and it's just a great story. I, I believe it's being remade uh, with Kevin, uh, Kevin Hart and Will Smith. I'm a little uh, skeptical. I'm, I mean, I'm interested to see what they do with it. I, I do like Kevin Hart and Will, Will Smith. Um, I just don't think it's a movie that needs to be remade. Um, but they're doing it and I'll go check it out and I, I hope it's good. It, it's a great story and I think Will Smith and Kevin, Will Smith and Kevin Hart could, could do a good job. But anyways, I'm a big John Hughes fan and Planes, Trains and Automobiles for sure is my number one and it's on my top 10 of all time. Uh, number six, Good Will Hunting. 
Matt Damon and Ben. I mean, the story behind it, very similar to uh, Rocky, uh, which we'll talk about later on this list, but very similar uh, with them, like like what Stallone did with the script for Rocky. Uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck wrote this. I believe Matt Damon started it. I think he wrote it in, uh, when he went to when he was in school and he asked Ben Affleck to help him. And then there's a whole story about how it got made, going through producers and stuff. And uh, it's just a remarkable story of how the movie got made. And then it's just very well executed Gus Van Sant I'm not a huge fan of him as a director but he nails this movie and of course Robin Williams in one of his best performances so many good memorable scenes both funny and serious and it's just a movie that gets it just gets to me it, it, it never gets never feels dated and um, I just absolutely love the movie again we'll probably watch it once a year I don't really I don't think I've met anyone that doesn't like Good Will Hunting uh, so uh, a no brainer and uh, and the supporting uh, just quickly the supporting characters in it too uh, Minnie Driver I believe her name is Mimi Driver um, is fantastic and it Ben Affleck it, it, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is Ben Affleck uh, Ben Affleck talking to to Matt Damon and Stellan Skarsgård I believe is his name I don't know if I pronounced that right but he's phenomenal in it uh, so yeah just definitely great movie. Uh, Number five, uh, The Shawshank Redemption. Again, very similar to Goodwill Hunting. I don't know anyone that doesn't like The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, that and Green Mile are very close. I, I give Shawshank Redemption uh, the edge with maybe length. It's just a little bit tighter and a better uh, a better structure. Green Mile, I find, is just a tad too long. But I love both the movies. Frank Darabont's a phenomenal director. And Shawshank Redemption, just the message, the performances. Again, there's a common theme in all these movies. Strong performances, great story, great message. And um, the I believe Roger Deakins shot the movie. It's visually stunning. Uh, I love prison movies too. And um, there's just not much else I can say about Shawshank Redemption. It's, again... A lot of people consider it one of the greatest films of all time. I agree. It's it's very well. It's a very well executed story. I, I believe it's a short story uh, that Stephen King wrote, um, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. It's just great source material. I don't know how long it is. I think it's a novella, if my memory serves me. But it's just just a really really good movie. If you haven't seen the Shawshank Redemption, turn this off and go watch Shawshank Redemption. It's much better than what you're listening to right now. Uh, number four, uh, The Place Beyond the Pines, uh, Derek Ciafrance's, uh, uh, follow-up to, uh, Blue Valentine, which also starred Ryan Gosling, so Place Beyond the Pines, Ryan Gosling, Bradley Cooper, Eva Mendez, Ray Liotta, Ben Mendelsohn, unbelievable cast, and just a movie that has grown consistently with me. I didn't love it the first time I saw it in the theater, and then every time I've seen it, it's just gotten better. It's such a good story. And the structure of the movie is different, it's unique, and it's memorable. Um, and if you haven't seen it, I'm not even going to get into it. Go watch The Place Beyond the Pines. It's a phenomenal, well-made movie. Cinematography is fantastic. One of my favorite Ryan Gosling performances for sure. And uh, yes, definitely just check it out. Uh, okay, so top three, which have already been discussed on this podcast. Um, number three is Inception. Uh, which I have, I, there's going to be a ranking uh, coming up soon, but uh, I have seen Tenet, and going to see Tenet made me love Inception even more. Uh, Inception is a very well-executed, big blockbuster film. Uh, it's not perfect by any means. I'm sure if you wanted to waste your time and nitpick it, you can. Uh, but I, when I look at it, I, I think it's so well done. It's 
practical effects are fantastic. It's a perfect mesh of CGI and practical effects. I love the performances in it. After Leo, obviously, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ken Wannabe, uh, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Marion Cotillard. Like, they're all fantastic in it. They're, they all have their, their place in the movie. They're not there just for no reason. Everyone has something to do. The chemistry is great. And it's just a very interesting story. They took a very complex idea, but they took it from something relatively simple, in my opinion, because everyone does understand dreams. And a lot of things they say in the movie, people can be like, oh, that does make sense. It, you don't kind of remember uh, the beginning of a dream. You're just kind of there. And it's in the movie. So it's like, oh, okay, I, I totally get that. Um, but it's just so well done. It's it, The structure in it's great. Um, it doesn't feel its length. There's It's jam-packed with stuff. It is confusing, and it takes a couple watches. But you don't feel dumb, and you don't feel like you didn't take anything away from each viewing. When I walked away um, after watching it the first time, I got a good majority of it, but I wanted to go back and watch it again. And I think that is a good sign in a movie where you're not completely dumbfounded and confused and like, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to go watch that again. Inception, you want to go back. You want to go back and pick up on Every time I watch it, I pick up on new things. Uh, so number three, Inception. Once again, if you haven't seen Inception, go watch it. Great, great, great film. Christopher Nolan, in my opinion, at his best. The perfect blend of Christopher Nolan, for sure. Not a perfect script. Some cheesy dialogue, for sure. There's a lot of... But again, for its scale, it's very well directed and performed by all the by all the actors in it, for sure. And again, in my opinion. Um, number two, Jaws. I mean, again, nearly flawless, in my opinion. Stands the test of time. Still great now. Steven Spielberg. I mean, he, he was younger than me now, like my age now, than when he made it, and it, it's just, it blows my mind how he pulled that off. The CGI sh or the, the not CGI shark, the uh, the practical shark that was built, Bruce, is great. But ninety percent of the movie is believable in my eyes when you see the way they they edit and shoot the shark. So I mean, performances, characters the cinematography so every every it just checks every box it is such a good movie i'm not even i'm assuming everyone has seen jaws so i'm not even going to recommend going to see it because you should have seen it at this point so jaws number two i have i watch this movie once a year i've seen it in the theater um i love it and i'll watch it for the rest of my life it's 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 a fantastic movie and it still gets me every time i still get a little bit of chills uh, when i watch it just because of how well it was executed um, and number one, the final movie on my top 10 list is, of course, Rocky. There's going to be a few uh, Rocky episodes coming up, um, so I'm not going to get too in-depth with it, but I've been inspired by Rocky ever since I've seen it. Again, the story behind it is great, but the actual execution of the movie, I, I believe to this day this might be something, I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm correct, still the lowest budget movie to ever win Best Picture at the Academy Awards, had a budget of a million dollars, no one wanted this movie made, they just kind of did it, no one expected anything from it, and it was just a beautiful story, and the best thing about Rocky is the fact that it's not about boxing, there's a story there, there's a very interesting, lovable character. There's lots of lovable characters and some not lovable characters, but even even uh, Apollo Creed, uh, your villain. Even though I don't consider him the villain, I mean he's kind of he's the antagonist, but he's not a bad guy. He's just his own rich character that Rocky's up against, 
And all the characters are executed very well. Mickey and Polly and, uh, of course, Adrian. Great performance by Talia Shire. But Rocky is just a great movie. Huge franchise. A lot of successful films. And it all goes back to the original one that, you know, it, the movie itself was the ultimate underdog. And it overcame a bunch of obstacles. And stands the test of time. And I know one person in this podcast that hasn't seen Rocky yet. So, Ryan, if you're listening, we will be watching it soon. Um, it's just a great movie. And it will. All, I don't see any movie passing it. But you, you never say never. But uh, number one for the, as long as I can remember is Rocky. So, that is my list. Uh, Unbreakable, The Poseidon Adventure, E.T., Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Goodwill Hunting, The Shawshank Redemption, The Place Beyond the Pines, Inception, Jaws, and Rocky. Thank you very much for tuning in, everyone. Uh, I'm going to be posting a few of these, so I look forward to speaking to you guys again. And uh, yeah, I hope uh, everyone has a good day. Hey, remember that you can follow us on Spotify, iTunes, and Anchor. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook as The Viewer Scott. Bye!